This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Alrighty. Where are they? Scott, Justin doesn't know the point Still, protocol. It's exactly the same thing we ran into last year. Yeah. Where he pointed at you like 28 seconds earlier, and you're like, what do I do? A little bit. How we sound, Justin? Good? Great. Let me just load up my notes, because I don't know what to say at the top. It's the sour hour. I'm your It's host. that time. Oh, damn it. That's how I start, Scott. Yes, it is. It's the sour hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. We're not at the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord. Finally. We're in lovely Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah. Let's hear you guys. We got a crowd. It's a live show. Live show. Live out in the open, too. Yeah. You know. But yeah, this is great. Uh, second straight year we've done this, Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey. And hey, Bebo. Oh, no, wait. That's Justin. Yeah, hey, Bebo, Justin. you really let yourself go, baby. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Get a haircut. <laughs> Thanks, Justin, for running the board over there. Yeah. <laughs> break. All right. Uh, tonight's guests, we have many different people, so, so I'm many. just going to introduce as we go. But yeah. uh, right now, sitting up with us, we have James Howitt from Black Project and Peter Bukar from Purpose. How are you guys doing? Good. Great. How are you? Yeah. Great to see you. Yeah. Give us feedback. Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. Watch us. No, no camera today. All right. Listen live. Yeah. Uh, on the app? Yes. No. Um, no. no. All right. <laughs> Don't do anything, but subscribe and leave feedback on iTunes or wherever. I assume we're not going to do that song thing. So here we go. I don't have a soundboard. I know, right? But here we are. Yeah. Well, this is great. You know, this is our nice uh, pre-GABF show. I know Peter is headed down to judge at GABF. Welcome reception tonight, and then starting bright and early tomorrow. Delivery massage from tomorrow on. Yeah, yeah. What is judging at GAB, GABF like? I don't really know. It's only my second time. Is that right? That yeah. seems hard to believe. I always refuse to judge because mm-hmm. I don't like styles, and that's what it's all about. And so we now refuse to enter, so now I can judge everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, so what do you know going into it? What styles you're going to be judging or anything like that? Do, what information do you have at this point? Uh, I always like the experimental ones, uh, experimental field beers, um, of course, the sours, uh, some Belgian claims is always what I'm trying to focus. I try to hard 
as hard as I can, I try to stay away from IPAs. Double IPAs, triple IPAs, quadruple IPAs, cinco, or there's the after. Hazy. Uh, and hazy I think they stop at nine. Hazy, yeah. juicy IPA. Is that, and then this is the first time for that, yeah. Yeah, but um, as a judge, uh, on the first day, you c- get IPAs anyway. Um, they need to use all the tables to at least get some of the IPAs through. But then after that, you really start to get some beautiful beers or some experimental. The saisons are always fun also for me. Definitely. James, have you ever been a judge at GBF? No. And James is a repeat guest of ours, so you might remember him calling in from China. That's right. Yeah, James reminded me of that, and, I, and it triggered how much time I spent uh, in the edit bay on that show. What a because shit show that it, was. it really was. <laughs> there was so much uh, delay, and the Skype was screwing up, and Mitch from Speciation is here too, and he reminded. Yeah. He was like, "That show sounded great," and I was like, "Yeah, yeah well, it was a lot You're of welcome. hours of work." I, I hear that all the time. People are like, "Have you heard it?" And I'm like, "No, no I have not. I don't listen to." I didn't own. hear it when I did it. I couldn't. Right. Hear I couldn't hear anything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was a great show, though, and uh, we do get a lot of feedback on that. But, uh, yeah, let's just dive into what is new at both of your guys' breweries. Uh, Peter, if, if my math is right, and it's usually wrong, so forgive me, is Purpose now, what, a year and a half, two years, something like that old? Um, we're open for 13 months. So okay. We're, in Belgium, that's like a young kid, you know, 13 yeah. months. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and tell us a little bit about... You know, what kind of was your impetus to kind of try something new from your role as a brewmaster at New Belgium and now doing the, uh, the Purpose Brewing and Cellars? Well, a uh, new role was uh, I saw on Facebook that um, Hop Grenade was going to have a cake uh, tonight. So I came checking yesterday. Hey, do you guys want a cake? So I filled the keg and delivered the keg today. There you go. My understanding was the staff was like, what's the beer? And you were like, oh, it's beautiful beer. They were like, yeah, yeah, but we're getting the information. What is it? You were like, it's gorgeous beer, okay? It's it's under the beautiful style. Yeah, it's a beautiful style. Uh, The ABV is perfect. We're like, okay. Yeah, translation, I don't know quite yet. I don't know. (laughs) Wait, so important question. Is pH1 full slash producing beer? What's up with pH1? Uh, we're going to be serving it this week again, um, but the one we are serving is le- uh, is two months minus a day. Wow. So, fantastic. It has enormous fruitiness, mm-hmm. um, and then we didn't let it go too far on the sourness, and it's a, it's a piece of beauty as such. It's really that microbiology from that barrel is just beautiful. It still is, huh? After all these years, it's still just producing amazing stuff. It still has a few more breweries in it. Uh, yeah. It's going to go somewhere. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, to continue that story. Um, yeah, but thanks, Jay, for bringing it out. <laughs> well, this, you know, I, every time now I come into the Hop Grenade for Collins, I remember that when we came here last year and under the darkness of night or in secret... Mm-hmm. We asked uh, Scott and Justin if we could have the unusual request of sending them an oak barrel so they could house it so that we could come by here and then bring it over. When we, and we kind of we got in t- contact with Peter, my co-founder Alex and I. We said, uh, hey, Peter, you know, I know you're, I'm sure you're busy. It's JBF week, but could we come by for a tour? Actually, we were going to insist on coming by for a tour because we had things present for we'll you. We'll be coming by for a tour. We'll be coming by for a tour. What time is <laughs> not great for you? Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, we we ordered an Uber 
and uh, an Uber XL. So we called one, once. Here. Yeah. So once once the person uh, uh, confirmed, we immediately called him, and we said. Hey, so we have an unusual request. We have an oak barrel that we'd like to put in the back of your car. Can you drive us over there with an oak? It's, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, easy. No problem. Oh yeah, no. Like yeah, you do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're the third oak barrel today. Yeah, he acted like it was no big deal, and uh, yeah. So then we go over. We actually pull up to uh, purpose, and I think we see you walk in, and we're like, oh no no go all right go go down the alley go down the alley can't see us. So we go down the alley, take the oak barrel out, and we leave it there. And Peter is nice enough to show us around, and it's a beautiful space if you haven't been there yet. Wonderful beers. But I have to admit, the whole time I was very distracted, thinking, well, PH1 is just sitting sitting out in the alley. (laughs) I didn't realize this. You didn't do the reveal until after. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you're hoping nobody takes it and makes like a potted planter. Oh, Oh, cool. This is great. <laughs> Dead and wind. Must be, must be garbage. I don't know. That, that would have been garbage. I would be so scared. That would have been <laughs> awful. I also have to give credit to uh, Vinny Chalerzo of Russian River. He's the one who came up with this idea in the first place. We talked about the story of PH1 and where it's been, and you know, he he brought up the you know clearly great point that the next uh, logical home for it was at your brewery. But also, uh, you know, I know you're. You started with a collection of many different breweries, Oak Barrels. Tell us a little bit about that idea and how. In, what what, what were the logistics of that? Yeah, but there's one piece I just got uh, that maybe is interesting for you um, because I got a picture from 98 when we were filling our first nine barrels. And that must have included. And so PH1 is in it. 1998, but, um, but That's like 100 years ago or something. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I'm not a math like guy. A I wasn't born yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just got another barrel that's probably from the same date, from the first nine, from Tommy Arthur. Oh, wow. He sent one over NBB 64, but on the back it has 222. And the first nine or 12, he started naming them kind of randomly, like whatever and so I think it's a, um, one that is actually one of the first nine but I just asked Lauren because she has the log on that we kept open on mm-hmm. what barrel did we inoculate with whatever uh, kind of getting started with wine barrels and getting to go in different directions but so if you take it now to purpose um, all the barrels are from um, are from friends and so we have two barrels from UJ we, uh, plus PH1, but that's maybe hybrid. Um, we have two barrels from Russian River. We have um, now two barrels from Tommy. What else do we have? We have a few more, but uh, we have two winemakers, but one winemaker moved from winery, and so we have three wineries because of that. And I hope to kind of continue to do the same like PH1. And the, those barrels, PH1 is bigger than wherever it's going to land. It's bigger than Rare Barrel, it's big, bigger than New Belgium, it's bigger than um, Russian River. Um, but I hope to continue to do that also with other breweries and bring in barrels and swap barrels. Yeah. And so that we, because my purpose, in, the purpose is uh, to create a new beer in every barrel. What is your approach there? Do you anticipate what the character of these barrels are going to be based on the source 
or you know if you've put put the same beers in different barrels have you noticed differences because they come from different breweries we have a four barrel system so we can if we brew a four barrel we can fill one barrel one wooden barrel and we have three kegs left that we can sell in but our whole concept is about we're delivering new beers every weekend mm-hmm. and we only have four beers on tap and so it's kind of this crazy thing when people keep on asking for what's new what's new what's new and now I'm like uh, they come now and they're asking oh last week that was so good that beer I'm like oh but that was last week this week we have and um the barrels are a very good tool there if you steer them in different directions that we can have um, a substantially different barrel on tap every week. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying there's new barrels all the time, but is the implication there that you do not bring back some sort of repeat brands or are they all, are they kind of always new? Uh, brands is a foreign concept. Uh, brands is purpose, you know. And what we do, um, you need to be adventurous to come to us because you never know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So what's been your favorite purpose beer so far? The next one. Yeah. <laughs> the one that's about to come out. The, be- yeah. the beautiful beer that's on yeah. tap. Have you tried number 12? <laughs> it's I haven't yet, but you it's a long night. So. Yeah, it's a really a nice one. Do you have any Black Project barrels yet? No, not yet. Oh, oh Some good ones there. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, there you go. There you All go. Matchmaking. Right. So what's new at Black Project, James? Uh, I think, I mean, what's new now is we're, oh, this is weird, talking in headphones. Um, <laughs> I can hear myself. Yeah, we're mostly... Uh, they don't have headphones in China. So. <laughs> yeah, right. They, I didn't. I, I think I did, actually, but I... Uh, no, yeah, I you can, can adjust your volume I can, if you want. It's fine. Okay. Uh, it's just weird. Um, I think right now we're really dealing with fruit. We're just kind of wrapping up fruit season, so we're getting... Uh, we just got our last order of peaches through from the Western Slope, and then we're dealing with a lot of wine grapes. We're From the beginning of Black Project, we've done a lot of wine grape beers, and we're really doing a lot more this year with that. So that's been kind of the big thing we've been working on um, right now is just bringing in thousands and thousands of pounds of various different types of wine grapes. What are kind of, and this question for both of you, what are, what are kind of the signature awesome fruits of Colorado, whether it's, you know, around the Denver area or really anywhere across the state. What do you think? I mean, I think peaches are kind of the one, what we're known for. Mm-hmm. But purpose, we're so small that um, I'm just getting my raspberries and my cherries from the neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Frizi and I are going uh, in the morning, we're getting uh, a bucket or two of um, cherries or whatever we find. Uh, we throw them in the barrel uh, the same day. Yeah, but uh, the peaches here, the Palisade peaches, so from the east coast, uh, the western slopes, western slope, yeah. <laughs> east coast, <laughs> are really well known here. Um, otherwise, uh, there's not too many fruits, but there's uh, some other uh, pretty interesting stuff here that grows um, that can be used. Yeah, I think so. I think I see a lot of great fruit beers that come out of Colorado, sour and 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 non-sour styles. I don't know how we're doing on time, but I know, Peter, you need to be back in Denver. So we're going to cut you loose here early on the show. We do have a lot of great guests, but I'm going to say I'm going to put the cart before the horse, which is another way way of saying this. But since we're losing you soon, I want to know what you think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is for the listeners. Got a lot of homebrewers listening, pro brewers, 
if you could give some advice to them, some parting advice, if they want their beers at GABF World Beer Cup to be recognized as world class, or they just want to improve their beers, what would you What's advise the, them? the one mistake they should avoid? That's a tough question. The one mistake, I think, when I started with Purpose, um, yes, now there are organisms they can buy, and it didn't used to be. When I started in 98, um, I had to get organisms from wherever I found. Uh, uh, tap lines in the morning were a good source. <laughs> um, but... Uh, be creative. I think there's enough good beers out there, and that's kind of how we've been inoculating in um, in purpose. Uh, if it's a good beer, we drink the beer. If it's a great beer from a microbiology stance, we're going to k- drink it very carefully and leave the dredge in there and pitch that in a barrel, but pitch it in a barrel that um, we think needs it also because you're tasting your barrels and like oh, this one needs a little push in this direction and then you taste this beer and like oh wow this beer has this direction so I could push it in this barrel and see where it goes it, maybe if I have to come to one piece of advice would be Belgian brewers have a very simple approach the first time I went to the JBF in 98, two, four days after I landed here, uh, we went to the JBF, and that guy was talking and talking, and my one ounce was already empty, and he was still talking. And I'm like, really? That's all you did with this beer? And he kept on going. No, we're just making 10 minutes of pleasure. Beer is really simple. Hey, and in Belgium, uh, if you ask us a complicated question, we're going to give you a stupid answer. Because you asked a way too complicated question. You didn't even think about going there. Hey, keep it simple, keep it simple and beautiful. I like it. I like it too. And I want to thank, before we head to a quick break and continue on with James, we, we will, we'll have to let Peter go. Uh, it was a busy week here for all brewers, so uh, we appreciate your time. Thank some of our sponsors. I want to thank Sour Beer Blog. Matt.com. Check them out. Sourbeerblog.com, great articles, great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend sour beer at home. And they're opening up their own brewery in central Pennsylvania. Check them out, melmakebrewing.com. Listen to other BN shows, basically everything but the session. Peter. <laughs> Justin is nodding feverishly. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> and joining us. Peter Buchart from Peter. Purpose. Thanks for joining us, Peter. We got a lot more fun. James is going to stick with us, and we got some more fun guests coming up on the Sour Hour. We'll be right back. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like pub discounts that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and eZymergy. 
Energy for tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love, and access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join right now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. not doing it right. He's not waiting for the right parts. These are the old school rejoiners, too. This is, this is going to be a problem, too, because I can't fix it in post. Yeah. And we can get in the studio and re-record. No it. one can fix Justin in post. <laughs> or free. Or free, yeah. Or free. Uh, I want to thank a couple more people who make this possible for you guys to hear us here in Fort Collins. Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com, locally owned and operated for over 40 years. Most items are going to ship within 24 hours, their homebrew shop, in case yes. you didn't know. Yep. BN listeners get $8 flat shipping rate on orders under 25 pounds and are BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. Discount will be taken after the checkout. Madison residents, Madison, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You're going to get, here's what you're going to do. You're going to odor your, you're going to have an odor. You're going to odor it up. (laughs) Then you're going to spray some ads. Then you're going to order your homebrew supplies online at onehop.com. Pick them up at Working Draft Beer Company. Yeah, there's so much more than just a homebrew shop. So much more. Uh, They're located on Wilson Street. You know where it is. Right across from Central Park. They'll waive the shipping and give you half off your first beer. What a deal. Wine and Hop Shop, oneandhop.com. I want to thank also Oregon Fruit Products. We were just talking about fruit in the last segment. I see some fruited beers in front of us. Oh, yeah. If you want to make your beers super fruity, get these aseptic purees. They're easy to use and convenient to store. No additives or artificial flavors. It's simply great expression of the raw fruit. They love working with brewers to help us innovate and check them out. Fruitforbrewing.com, Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit to life. All right. So we're back with James from Black Project, and we have a new... New beard on the table. <laughs> I looked around. Every single brewer is bearded. Every single brewer has a beard. Show me. Show me a guy that doesn't have a full beard here. Or Peter go. <laughs> Peter doesn't count. Peter had one in 1998. <laughs> Did Peter have a beard? He had a beard? There you go. Just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim. Hello. How's it going? Jim Crooks from Barrelworks. Great to be here. Another nice Sour Hour alumni oh, yeah. coming up to Fort Collins. Nice to Welcome. Back. Second time. Could be a charm. Yeah. No, yeah. it's definitely going to be a charm. All right. Uh, yeah, and we've got some all sorts of beers here out on the table. Oh, we're getting, we're getting it labeled. We have some, uh, oh some Barrelworks beers here. Wow. Uh, Jim, what's new? I guess we could say uh, Barrelworks has turned six this year. Yeah, That's congrats. a big deal for us. To make it that far, still be making beer there is a blessing, thanks to Firestone and and uh, Jeffers Richardson. He's out in the street selling our beer, making uh, friends and smi- smiling faces out there. So to be clear, he's got a home though, right? He's, he's got just a home. not out in the streets. No, he's, yeah. he's not in the streets. I can't tell sometimes when I talk to him. All, <laughs> all the, the dirty beards, man. You know, so. the guy's a trooper for sure. So that's definitely uh, helping us um, make a lot more beer out uh, for the public and getting it out there for the first time in certain places. Uh, exciting. Every year we're 
we're kind of expanding our portfolio. This year will be something like 20 beers we'll make out of Barrel Works. Wow. Uh, five of those will go national, and so that's been the challenge is what beers to put in what places and what kind of fruit to use, just like you guys were constantly experimenting with, with new fruits, uh, with local producers of fruit, trying to really showcase the fruit that's grown in our local area if we can. And the new thing, I guess, on the block would be we are going to uh, try our hand in some spontaneous fermentation All right. this, this season. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm talking to the master over yeah. here. No. It's good to be sitting next to <laughs> James. By the way, yeah, we're on a podcast, so just to be sure, he's talking about James. James, yes, of <laughs> course. <laughs> it's, yeah, one of, uh, one of our, our, our higher-ups in the spontaneous world that we look no, no. to Definitely. emulate. Thank Definitely. You. So. Thank you. Uh, that's going to be a huge deal for us. And so we'll work with the brewers down in Venice, uh, Evan Partridge down there. and That's a new location for new Firestone, right? Definitely. Venice has got a nice little system down there. Uh, has about, a, I think, a 11 to 9 11 barrel knockout. So for us, we're going to design everything around that size and then be transporting some uh, hopefully tasty food for our natural flora up in Buellton. So that's what it'll, it'll start in Buellton. Excellent. And uh, James, uh, I see we opened one of your bottles here. One of the mock limits that you mentioned on the last show, which I was always intrigued Did by. I? Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I kind of remember the um, idea being behind this is mock limit means the most, the highest percentage of fermentable fruit that you can put into a beer Sure. And that's the starting point. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. That's fine. We can, we can move. I'm no, I'm we'll, no attorney. We'll cut this out in post. But, so. but it's... Uh, it's very yeah, free. It's, uh, it's essentially 50% grape must, pressed grape must. Ooh, I think that might be on the cusp of not being legal. 49%. Whoa, 49. <laughs> okay, yeah. that, thank you. Yeah. It says right here on the bottom. Yeah, I've actually yeah, since there. learned it's, it's maybe possible you can do more, but it would be a fermented malt beverage. Oh, okay. Um, so if you think about... Mike's Hard Lemonade, yeah. the malt fermentable content of that is probably not 51%. So well, it's been a long time since I've had a, a Mike's Hard, but... I don't, I don't remember. This lie. This is I better. know it doesn't taste much like beer. <laughs> this is better. <laughs> uh, and you guys have been doing these, uh, I think, the great beers very well, and for a while now. What, what yeah. tips and tricks can you give to... And I actually, I'll throw it out to the both of you, because you're both... You know, well, we're lucky to have two experts here on this subject, and I've leaned on the both of you for advice doing our own uh, great beers at the Rare Barrel. I've always found them to be actually a little hit or miss across the industry, so maybe you could give us some of your best practices, tips, and tricks for executing these great beers that you guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can tell you the way that we do it is a, uh, we, we get good fruit. And then we bring it in fresh, hopefully never been stored cold, but sometimes we have to, but um, usually not quite cold or not frozen or anything like that. And then we uh, macerate it, so we, we crush it. Uh, sometimes we destem it. Sometimes we just crush it whole. And then those whole, we do a whole fruit maceration for a few days to get the color. We don't do a press um, because we don't have one at the right scale. <laughs> um, so we just do a, uh, we've, we've pressed before, but now we just do a free run. We essentially take all the must and put it into our mash lauder ton mm. and then just let it, we do a little bit of maybe like mash hoe tamping, but it's not a press. 
Um, and we, so we, we're doing essentially what a winemaker would call free run of the juice, and then we combine that. Um, like manually smashing it up. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So we this year we're, we've done it all with traditional foot smashing. Um, and we, you foot smashed it. Uh, I did some, yeah. You personally? Yeah. Is that yeah. a barefoot thing? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a big bucket of sanitizer. Mm-hmm. Step into the bucket, step into the grapes. It is what it is. Justin just slid his beer far away from me. He's like, disgusting. I can tell you this one was not done that way. This was done in a, in a crusher de-stimmer. Um, oh, now he's chugging it. Now, <laughs> now it's back. But uh, I think it requires a pedicure first before you jump sure, in. Sure, of right? course. Yeah, Every of week course. for me, yeah. regardless of what beer we're making. So. <laughs> Keep it tight. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that and then and then um, that kind of extended maceration just to get the really good color and tannin. Um, we know we're going to be diluting it. We do one beer that's super cruise. It's it's a twenty five percent must, and one that is fifty uh, percent, which is Mocklinet or forty nine percent. And um, so, from my perspective, I'm okay getting a lot of tannin extraction from the skin. So an extended maceration on the skin is okay because we know this beer we purposely bottle still, and we want to be as much like a red wine as we can make a beer. Mm-hmm. And so we want it to be really almost excessively tannic as a wine so that when we combine it with beer, it's sort of diluted and it still has that sort of mm. grip. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Jim, what about you? What are, what are you targeting? What What are the pitfalls you've overcome? And how do you drive great flavors of wine beer hybrids? I'd Just, love to hear James's exp- um, experimentation because it's it's so raw and it's it's so like down to the core of what winemaking probably was, you know, for centuries. We stepped on some grapes. It's so cool. And so I'd say the beginning of our experimentation began with aligning with a really good winemaker. You know, we had a lot of questions. We weren't, we weren't definitely weren't first in winemaking at all. We, we knew, you know, the basic techniques, but we tried some, um, whole fruit to start with. We didn't, we didn't stomp on it. We, We just put crushed whole skins and stems into barrels and that was in 2011 when we started that project. The res- results from that were not up to exactly what we wanted, so we immediately started working with a winemaker to figure out what we could do using equipment that wouldn't be available to a lot of brewers. So we, being the Firestone family has lineage in winemaking for a lot 50 years back, we were able to find an uh, option to use stemmers and to use a press and to align with a winemaker that could give us a little bit of hint on how to produce a, a juice that was stabilized for us. So it starts with obviously the coming out of the field with the grapes coming out of the field, having a, 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 a vintner or um, pick when things are perfect, you know, with, with what they w- would pick as their wine grape. So the bricks has got to be at the certain percent and the, you know, it's cared for, manicured perfectly. Uh, we, of course, we're going to be paying high dollar for this. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. Like my feet, manicured. Manicured, yes. <laughs> right. Except, yeah, except grapes. Right. Just like, yeah. Got do, you, so, do you think that's why it wasn't up to par that first run? Because it was too much other nonsense in there with the stems and stuff? It, it wasn't the stems so much as it, I think it was the skins. We did say you you include. We did include some of the yeah. stems. We tried to destem as much as we could, but when you're putting, say, a ton or two tons of grapes into a barrel, you, you're probably better off just to not start picking through everything, just blindly 
dump that in there. It's an experiment, of course. This mm-hmm. is the first time we tried it. So, so you were putting skins skin, and stems, stems into, into seeds. Moment. Everything went into the barrel. Okay. And it, it fermented like a mad dog. Sure. And the first four or five months, it had definitely characteristic of we used Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc, and it had beautiful character. Um, over the course of its aging, as it in the barrel, we started picking up this. Um, it's called pyrazine. It's like a green, be- green bell pepper kind of thing going on, and immediately was noted by a winemaker that that's a defect in in white wines. And that's, that comes from the stems, skins, the skins. Yeah, more of okay. the skins. The stems would give it the more tannic, um, aggressive grippiness. Okay. Grippy, like that word. Yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a wine character. That's a wine thing. Yeah, it's a yeah. wine thing. Skateboards and so wine. <laughs> we then went completely opposite direction, uh, removed everything but the juice, and combined that with a wort base that we thought would help shine, let the the juice characteristics, the aroma and the flavors of that that grape shine. So stripped down, really low hopping, uh, pretty big boost of protein malt in that, but. Um, low any kind of roasted malt or probably no roasted malts mostly two row base or pilsner malt and a little bit of unmalted wheat to showcase more we're trying to showcase the the grapes so that worked out for us a hundred percent different and we're able to produce these beers now that are they start off 50 percent juice 50 percent malt base hybrid malt base and then we put those in barrels, and we overcome the, the 50% mark by using the inoculum, of mm-hmm. our Brett inoculum, our, our mixed culture inoculum. So it pushes it over. And those ferment like, like a mad dog as well with all the fermentables. And then after a year of barrel aging on those, the product that comes out of that is so much more like wine than it is beer. It's, it's almost indiscernible. When you put it in front of a winemaker, they just go, what would what, you do? It's his wine. Yeah. And, and what's really showcased by the, 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 whole, um, the whole procedure is the aromatics and, and the flavor of those grapes come through. They shine through just like hops or malt in a, a normal beer. And so what you're getting is these aromatics that, you're, that definitely point you in those tropical or the um, you know, pleasurable fruit aromas that I call them. And just they blind the the drinker from like what beer and where beer and wine mix it's an amazing way to to present juice grape juice and what it what is the the best approach would you guys say i mean there you spoke to adding wort with wine grapes but what about just aged beer with wine grapes because i We've done both at the Rare Barrel, and they're very different, I would say. Yeah. So what, what is your guys' preference? Have you experimented with both? So for us, we most of Black Project is about blending, and so we blend not necessarily the most aged, but young. It's beer, fermented beer um, with the grapes. We've, we've done before, we do a beer called Reheat, which is we actually just leave the slurry from the wine in the, in the barrels that have had Mocklemon in it. And we just add wort to that. It's one of the only times we don't um, use the cool ship really for we, – we cool ship it because it's the only way we can cool. But we know we're getting um, the yeast from, from that barrel. Normally, we steam clean our barrels. But normally, for, for Mocklemon and Super Cruise, we actually add uh, young but finished blonde beer to it. To answer your question, we, that first experiment where we added the grapes, we added that to a finished beer. So mm-hmm. we added it to a two-year-old uh, Saison base. 
and it still went berserk when it re-fermented. Sure. Uh, but the the potential for this off flavor was a detriment for us. So, like I said, we went 180 degrees opposite direction and just decided to go for a pure fermentation. So we capture these two streams, wort and juice, in their most purest form. So there's no there's no alcohol present for any kind of oxidation or potential for acetaldehyde to form um, during the fermentation. We do make a beer called Zinskin or Thinskin where we're actually adding uh, finished beer, base beer, that's completely fermented out, aged for a couple years, onto just the pomace of a pressed-off nice. uh, yeah. wine fermentation. So that's that makes a beer, I think, equally as good, but not as not as not as much depth, not as much flavor in that beer uh, to express the wine grape or the wine skin. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, a touch of wine wine aromatics and a little bit of color that you get from the skin, which off, it does produce a nice beer, but nothing like the Feral Vinifer series that has become kind of what, what hybrids, you know, what our hybrids attest to be. So those are the, what we get out of the hybrid, uh, the Feral Vinifer series with all these different varietals. It's it's more like winemaking, I'd say. It's it's more pure to what winemakers would say that t- are the characteristics of those grapes that we're using. Sure. And so when ideally, it's like what we're trying to do is express that grape, just like you would a hop. Yeah, and, definitely. And we feel that this this method is the best way to express the the true nature of the grapes that we're using. For sure, I think there's a lot of different ways to do this. Oh, That's there's so learning. many. Yeah, there's but so it's, many. It's so exciting as beer makers to experiment with wine, grapes, and try it in so many different ways and I mean to be honest my flavor preference is a wine beer hybrid done well I prefer to wine 10 times out of 10 but I mean hashtag hot take but (laughs) (laughs) alright I think we need to come up come up on a break maybe before right before we do I think they will cut James loose for a while keep rotating people out but I think we have another black project yeah let's do this last black project beer the one that you better ask uh, me that question about mistake well we're doing it okay well yeah we can I mean because you're coming back I'm coming back oh Jesus okay so uh, what how uh, what mistakes didn't you make in this freaking amazing beer (laughs) is that the question does it say here yeah Uh, okay uh, so that's Shadow Factory it's a beer we have on tap yeah in the tap room often it's a 100% wheat base uh, low alcohol wheat base, and then we put in. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. A hundred percent? A hundred percent wheat. Yeah, malted wheat. Why does that shock you? There's no barley. No. Okay. Hundred percent malt. That's malted unusual, wheat. Scott. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it uh-huh. is. Yeah. Um, Pretty much all beer has barley, but yeah, no, it's hundred percent wheat, um, and it's uh, low alcohol, and then we combine it. We do a, just sort of a rotating series, um, th- and these beers are all made with actually Oregon fruit products puree. Um, and so this go. one is. Uh, they bring fruit to life. It, I don't know <laughs> what life. I don't know what this is. My eyesight is not good enough to see the menu, but um, which fruit it is? We usually do two fruits. Oh, it's um, I think raspberry and boysenberry. Does that raspberry? Right? Or, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Is that it? Damn it. Yeah. Exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm very familiar with their products. No, I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's a beer we put on tap all the time. Um, it's a it's a good amount of fruit, and it's uh, this this base that is. Has a little more body because it's got this kind of wheat character, but um, too much wheat character for me is actually not good. But but we're doing it uh, with a lot of fruit, so you don't notice it. I, I, sometimes wheat can 
I don't agree with it sometimes. Like, it just uh, and, and the yet, taste of, of pure of too much wheat in a beer, it gets weedy, and I don't like weedy. And um, well, then, what, what was the goal? Why, why 100% wheat? Uh, just to add body and to add a uh, just something different from what we're normally doing with our golden sour base. Um, and, and have some body because, you know, when you add fruit, you're essentially adding a lot of sugar and nothing really in fruit is going to add any body to a sour beer. Um, and so... Except mango. Right? Am I wrong? <laughs> just, he, mango, just mango. Jay says mango, Will. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. I mean, if you have a, an insane amount, you've got pectin, which can add body, right? Uh, um, but in general, we wanted to make something where it wasn't going to get thin and really acidic and have some... It still has some body to it. Uh, so, yeah. Super good, and you know, just the appearance is like extreme fruit appearance. But yeah. you drink it, and it's like, oh, it's just super nice. Yeah, it's like a bright burgundy. It's yeah, it's beautiful. It's bright. I mean, the base beer is hazy, so it it expresses that fruit really well, makes it look like juicy, um, especially well. Um, it tastes juicy too. It's got that like ocean spray cran sharp. Yeah, very it's, sure. It's so good. And and that be- that base beer we don't let get very sour at all. I mean, we've, we've actually done the base beer. We've let it get sour before, and we've been like, uh-oh. And uh, we do it in a Solera, so we've actually had to empty it before. We've made the base beer by itself. We call that beer Cloudmaster. Um, that's when it actually oh, yeah. has gotten like has gotten tart itself. But usually when we're adding the fruit to it, we, we keep it so it's not very tart. Um, we, we hop all of our beers more than most sour beer, probably. Um, How high do you hop it? I mean, our spontaneous stuff is... Is out of the kettle 40 IBUs probably almost Whoa. usually. So. Nice. Yeah. I mean, nice. you know, Cantillon Goose <laughs> tests at 30 IBUs in the bottle. So for reference. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, this is not like that by any means. But um, we're not really looking for a lacto, lacto fermentation, lactobacillus fermentation. Um, so PEO works a lot slower, and we can work with it and be like, okay, this is beer. It's starting to get sour. It's time to put fruit on it before it gets more sour because then sour beer plus in some cases we use pretty tart fruit and it, it can end up being in my opinion too too tart too acidic well this is not that so no it's not yeah, so thank it's you not. Uh, but yeah you're going to be hanging out for a little bit yeah. I'll be here alright uh, cool. so yeah we might bring you back so don't get too drunk I just want to ask yeah. that question I, I, I want to be asked you'll that get out yeah. okay you'll, we, need, we have the question we have more bottles do we, do wait so yeah do we miss that on the original China episode because we, oh, I never, we had to kind of believe that was before that was you asked that asked. question I think it's, or, oh it might have been early because it was episode like 4 or something it was very very early it was before you asked that question for sure you right. hadn't started I, asking I, the question. Like, yeah. Unbelievable. I had a guy who works for me. He's like, he asked me that question. And I was like, why are you doing this? <laughs> what do you mean? What are you doing? What? What? Did we do this mistake? And he's like, no, they're going to ask you that. So you don't oh, ask me. Oh, you got prepped? You Your cronies prepped you? He said they ask it every time. <laughs> nice. All right. Love it. So well, let's take a break. Uh, we're going to kick James out for a little bit, but thank you. Thank you for the beers. Jim, you're going to stick with us for a second. We'll be right back after a quick break. It's a sour hour on the Brewing Network. Hi, this is Ryan Wheaton, the host of a new podcast called Branding Brews. Branding Brews is a show focused on marketing, branding, and design for the beer industry. I have spent over 14 years as a professional designer. As a host, I bring my knowledge to the show to interview other great beer professionals. Whether you're thinking about starting a brewery, already own a brewery, want to learn more about marketing beer, or you're a seasoned veteran, this show is for you. This show will cover topics such as rebranding a brewery, package and label design, crowdfunding, design, social media, plus much more related to promoting and creating a great beer brand. 
Make sure to check out the show along with useful show notes at brandingbrews.com. You can also subscribe to the Branding Brews podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Again, check us out at brandingbrews.com. Justin, that's what they call him. It's not the first time he's been called. <laughs> See, Jay, we like to fill up like uh, you know a third of the show by just letting the rejoiners roll and roll and roll before we come in. Less content, less air to fill that way. You there know, you go. people like the songs anyway. I think you know. I want to thank my friends, but I think I have one more friend to thank. The Chamonix Creek Brewing. Oh yeah, yes, Did the Chamonix. Yes, yeah? yes, affirmative. They're the three-time. Philly Beer Week scene, Philly Beer Scene magazine brew of the year, you guys. I still haven't updated them. <laughs> it's, they they self-publish the magazine themselves, and then they declare themselves the best every year. That's what you got to do. Uh, two-time GABF Vienna-style lager medal winner, two times bronze smoked, and maybe maybe a third. Maybe Oh, oh we're at GBF time. Are you calling anything it's this one, year, Goodwin? Where, I can't. I, I, no predictions? I can't, I can't do that. No. S- slide me a note that has your predictions on they're, it. Uh, you know, they're going down a note. <laughs> but they're great. Uh, Renovated taste room, variety of beer styles. You guys know what it is. Hoppy double IPAs, sessionable, poundable lagers. It sounds weird to say out loud. Poundable. Poundable. Uh, oak fermented saisons and sour beers. Free brewery tours on Saturdays. Their second location has got to be open for a year now, at least. At least. I think Mellow Mink is... If Mellow Mink's open, yeah. then this place has got to be open for like Mellow Mink years is now. open, so check yes. them out. But also check True. out Nishamity Creek Brewing.com. All right, we're back with Jim from Firestone Walker Barrel Works. And it's been a long time since I've seen this guy. Harrison, you look Harrison so different. Yeah. Yeah. Barely recognized. <laughs> yeah, it's been, I don't know, weeks. Yeah, yeah. Maybe two, three. It's not Justin's fault. The, the, the Justin. staff here was like, turn it up. And Justin was like, it might be a problem. Uh, there you go. <laughs> All right, well, we're back. Scott, we've got a lot of beers in front of us. We do. These are So we do still have Jim's beers here. We have yes. uh, Firestone beers. So let's have those. And then I hear we're going to grab some of Harrison's Should I go beers. grab some from the, the walk-in over I there? I think so. Well, maybe while Jim is walking us through these two. Do you know what these are, Jim? Okay. I think the one, is made, one is Slow Amic. Yeah. That's and then I don't know what the other one is. 20 and 21. Let me go read with the Feral one. one, it looks like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the other one. yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about these beers while... The rest of us get to drink them. Right. So I guess I'll start with Feral One, which is kind of our RO to what a Belgian goose might be if you brewed it in barrel works or if you were able to just let barrels do what they naturally do when they are treated nicely. So one of the things about this beer is that it changes every single year. So it's actually, it'd be our anniversary beer if we had one. Uh, Barrels has been around since 2012. The project kind of got off the ground before that, so we had maybe 20 to 40 barrels in the back warehouse of a warehouse up in Paso mm-hmm. prior to 2010. As Barrels grew into what it is nowadays down in Buellton, uh as we started putting barrels in there and building up our, our inventory of barrels, 
and once we had a schedule to follow, adhere to, we started feel, feeling like there was certain barrels that had characteristics that around, re, re, immediately reminded us or the, the you know, chime went off in our head and said, hey, that's, that's something special. That's more of what I would say would be Belgian-esque. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, but you might find this in your, in your beers too, both you guys. We couldn't put our finger on exactly what that flavor was or what that aroma was in the beginning. We used descriptions like diesel as one of them. Mm, Funny yeah. not, but yeah, diesel-y. Um, a little bit maybe some rubber, but it became what we now call tennis ball. Wow. Dunlap tennis ball. Like fresh out of the fresh thing. Out right of right the when you can. pop that can. Yeah. Oh, it's so and, good. And it's it's so good. It's it's a cheesy kind of diesel kind of fuely thing, but that became the, the signifying determination of what a feral one barrel was. And that started back in two thousand twelve. And so we were able to find a few of those barrels in, in between a lot of other barrels in two thousand twelve. And from then on it's been a search for that barrel, for that yeah. flavor. <laughs> And in our cellar, we're lucky. Like, we, we have something like a 1,000 barrels in our cellar. And there's no way we can go through every single barrel. But we do bring down those barrels if we're doing a blend for any of our base beers. And immediately, we've recognized that flavor as a Feral One barrel. Yeah. Just you like you guys have PH1. Se- separate that. Yeah. Totally separate it. becomes a select barrel for this blend. Nice. And at this point... You know, Feral One's become, we have about six different base beers that we're constantly working with that were aging over um, up 12 to 48 months old. And the Feral One barrels are in there, and we just keep continually amassing them. It's, it's a barrel, though, if you don't use it, you kind of lose it, too. Mm. It can go past that mark. It can go further. It can, get, it can go acetic on you, too, if you're, not, if you're not properly caring for it. And those barrels are definitely ones that you're going to want to top up and try to keep sealed, don't touch them, don't move them around. So Fair One is that. It's, it's, a, it's a blend. It's, a pure, it's the purest of blends that we can make that remind us of those Belgian trips that we've been on, that we've drink, you know, drinking some goose. Even though it's, it's nothing like goose, I could, it's even saying that. It, it's an homage. It's an homage, for sure. It, there's nothing spontaneous about any of the, to make these flavors. We haven't figured out what even what... Um, the, the bacteria uh, or the, the processes of finding that. It's, it's really a, it's a, sec- it's a secret to even to me <laughs> of how this comes about. <laughs> uh, all you know is that as we continue this project, the barrels become seasoned in a, in a sense. And more often, um, the barrels that do have that feral one kind of essence that happen, sometimes it's 12 months, 24 months, even longer. But when we reuse those barrels, we find that it's it's more it's more uh, statistically we find that those barrels come up as feral one barrels more often than others. Some barrels will never be feral barrels. We know mm-hmm. that yeah. they're just they're far away. But sometimes even after twelve months, if uh, we have a certain base inoculum we use, we start seeing we're we're noting it. And funny enough, but the f- one of the things that has we've included into is that barrels are kicking off a little bit of sulfur at 24 to 48, or 24 to um, maybe 24 months or even 12 months. Those barrels at, a, a sulfury barrel at maybe 24 months is a feral one barrel at 36 months. We, we, wow. we could almost bet on it nowadays. Hmm. And it's a certain, like, it's, a, it's almost a, a bitterness, too, that comes through. Uh, but again, 
it's a secret to me exactly what that recipe is. There is no recipe for Feral One. It's, it's something created inside the walls of barrels. So, and it's created by a blender, and it's, it's, it changes, definitely. Well, you say it's created by a blender, but also, you know, we've talked, Jim, about beers that you age for what I would describe for an American sour brewery as a pretty long time. I mean, you're talking 24 to 36 month yeah. time period. Yeah. And I'd say it's pretty rare that I have beers from an American sour beer maker that are that old that I enjoy. But I would exactly. definitely say I enjoy your beers. What is the secret to doing that? Not that, like, every brewer aspires, hey, I'd like my beer to take a lot longer, you know? But no, what, exactly. What, what is that part of Barrel Works to you? And if brewers would like to strive for that flavor... What are some of the tips you have for them? Because I, I know personally at the Rare Barrel, the older the beer gets, the more vulnerable it is. So what, what advice would you give sour beer makers for that? Very much so. I think the more the, the older the beer gets, we found the more vulnerable it is for sure. And it's taken us six years of putting beer in barrels consistently to find that if you do not, if you're not consistently looking at the volume that's in your barrels or topping those barrels, you'll find that you lose those barrels at a much quicker volume than you would if the headspace was, was constant topped up. So is that a topping is the key? That is a huge part of salvaging beer and, and never letting beer get to the point where it's even questionable. Um, for, for us and, and from from working with barrels for as long as we have in barrel work, in barrel works and in Firestone Walker and, and and just from the science of beer you know that beer you build in a certain amount of antioxidant to beer just from the recipes and the hops you're using and whatnot and in, in these beers there's little amount of hops used so even less of a antioxidant stability that you have to work with as a whole anytime you're moving beer you're breaking down the your antioxidant properties so really Oxygen is your, is your biggest uh, detriment to the beer. So working with uh, less headspace, doing a top-up on barrels. How many top-ups are we talking about over two or three years? Over then? two or three years, we're talking probably once a year. Okay. Definitely pulling down, taking a look at headspace, tasting the beer. And if, if you find that the beer is tasting a little bit vulnerable, if you're looking at the TA, you can obviously see the TA mm -hmm. increasing on much quicker rate on barrels that have a lot more headspace than barrels that are topped. Uh, another thing has to do with your cultures that you're using. Uh, certain cultures have a propensity to create a lot more acetic acid. Acetic acid in most cases in our world is created through kind of oxidation. It's, it's Brett being avail eating available oxygen creating acetic acid. Right. So I'm going to probably like might, you know, lose a lot of followers when I say this, but <laughs> you know, a pellicle on, on a beer in, in a lot of old world brewing was the sign of a healthy fermentation. In, in my world, it's a sign of a lot of oxygen present. Because um, it is a reaction to that. It's a reaction to that. It's a, it's a reaction of that Brett produce a pellicle when oxygen's present to basically... And, and some people say, oh, that's saving the beer underneath. Well, if, if a pellicle is created, and it, a lot of times it happens very quickly, there is oxygen present. There's definitely oxygen. Those yeast are oxygen-loving uh, oxygen yeasts. And 
and that's that's the byproduct of an oxygen semi-oxygen interaction with those yeast. Unfollow, unsubscribe, exactly. Dislike. <laughs> Doesn't know anything. Can I ask something so, really neat? That might be stupid. With this, regarding the barrel. That's, top that's your off, job on the show. That's shows, what Kyle. I do. Okay. What's your favorite color? <laughs> um, if we need poker advice, we'll get it. Oh yeah. So if you have Ace King in the small box, no. uh, you're saying you do once a year. You do the top off. Did I hear that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You do it all at once. No. One time a year or a little bit throughout the year? It's, it's a constant project that okay. we're working right. with. So we're constantly bringing barrels down and topping. And, and so we're making sure we're... I'm bringing them, sorry to interrupt, bringing them down to down, top. When I say down, of course they're stacked, yeah. So from a safety standpoint, we're not in that point where we can actually top with them in a, in a, on the rack mm-hmm. and stacked five to six high. Sure. Uh, so we're actually, we'll, we'll have a lane. We'll just pull out the lane, bring them down. That way we can actually get in there inspect the barrel, look at everything. If we have to clean the outside, we'll, we'll wipe it down, take a sample for purpose of lab analysis or sensory, and then do a, a very thorough job of topping. Um, so that, that's just a, that's our method. I, I do definitely d- um, apply the idea of let's not move the beer too much, like let's not move it over here. Beers are moved maybe three times in their entire lifetime uh, before they're selected for blending. But the topping's a constant thing that we're working through our cellar at all, all matter of year time frame. One, another thing that I would say that is very helpful for extending the, the lifespan of a barrel is, is having a consistent temperature in your warehouse. And for that matter, it's, it's you know, topping headspace so you minimize how much oxygen is going to be available. But also the temperature being consistent helps with any kind of or minimizing any kind of ebb and flow of oxygen ingress into the barrel. How consistent is consistent in your mind? I, I would say within you know how many degrees Fahrenheit? Maybe five degrees at the most. So we're we're looking for uh, our barrel warehouse is held at sixty five degrees, and it's in the midwinter. It might be sixty. If it's getting any lower than that, we'll probably bring in some kind of some kind of heaters to keep the you know. You'll have a samba dance class in there. Something, and yeah. <laughs> really, yeah, yeah, really some, spice some things up. Zumba, yeah. Usually yeah. it's Zumba. Hot yoga. <laughs> So yeah, those things I, are the, the the things that I can attribute to keeping our our dumpage down to maybe two percent a year, which what I hear is pretty low. Yeah, um, definitely. And so it's just being attentive, really, to it, not over attentive, but keep your rails topped and, mm-hmm. and try to keep your temperatures consistent. And that's been our our secret. If there's not much more than that. Very cool. I think that's great advice, Harrison. I know you guys are working on a lot of longer age beers and. Multiple year blends. It's a. It's one of the. I, and I don't work at the blendery, but you know, I think it's one of the key tenets. Is, you know, as Jim was saying, these beers maybe aren't. They're not meant to uh, trick people into thinking they're goose or anything like that. It's an homage. It's a hint. It's a. Hey, wouldn't this be great if this was mistaken for a goose or a lambic? And I think you guys have done a great job of that, both of you. What is going on at the blendery that you guys are, the tools you're, you're utilizing to get to that point? I mean, I think the, one of the biggest parts of our project is the age hops that we have. I think that was one thing that was really hard to dial in in the beginning of the project, was getting like properly aged hops. Um, they don't age well as pellets. It's just a surface area problem. Uh, we were lucky enough to score some hops that were like aged noble hops is whole leaf and they got pelletized for us. And just finding the balance of those hops in our beer and our environment to like create the like 
the range of acid that we were looking for in our profile was probably one of the biggest challenges in the beginning. Uh, I think we were overhopping a lot in the beginning, and the, a lot of the normal beer that was cultured. What does that mean, though? Overhopping? Did over, you have like a metric on that? Like a pound per barrel okay. was definitely like excessive. Um, we backed it off. We're using six to nine pounds and twelve barrels of beer right now. Why? Why did you pick a pound per barrel in the first place? Was it a guess? Uh, I mean, the we might have heard it on this hour. hour. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the beginning, honestly, we didn't, we didn't know what was the right amount, right? I mean, they tell you these hops are zero alphas, you know? Like, you're like, oh, it's not going to create any bitterness. And it's not the case. I mean, all of our beers have around 30 IBUs of you know, bitterness. It's not a little amount by any means. Um, and just, you know, finding that those hops worked at this rate in our beer created the flavor profile we were looking for. Um, not just the acidity, like, uh, you know, determiner, but also, like, a lot of the flavor in our beer is from the, those aged hops. A lot of that, like, earthy, uh, maybe citrus peel, like, funky character is from those. And I think if you're trying to mimic any kind of, like, real Belgian goose or um, lambic, that you need those flavors in pretty high amounts. So the high hop rate was the result of trying to get those flavors in the beer. Um, and like also making sure it didn't go acidic over, you know, the three years we intended to age it. So that was one of the tools that we found was really uh, important in mm-hmm. creating our beers. So we have the Beechwood Blendery Funk Yeah open here. Funk Yeah, we do. Inspired by the Belgian goose tradition, blend of one, two, and three-year-old barrels. Did you get some of this, Jim? Oh man, yeah, that's that's amazing. amazing. What you were just saying with the. Uh, all those, like, citrus peel, and I don't know what, like, so I assume this has aged hops in it. Yeah, every single beer we do has aged uh, hops in it, correct. So I get this, um, you know, people, so one thing that kind of bothers me about aged hop beer descriptors is everyone always defaults to cheesy, right? Right. And I don't necessarily think that that's, like, a fair descriptor all the time. There's something in the, like, aged hard cheese to like raspberry jam I call it like area. cellar quality like like a musty and then like musty too but it's like definitely earthy. fruity savory like there's a lot going on here and mm-hmm. it's I love all of it so it's it's very good and I like that of aged beers I think it's one of the coolest things we can pull off as sour beer brewers and blenders is this very distinct quality that you don't really get in other beers. Some people might not like it, but uh, I, lo- I personally love it. So, this is great. This is a great job. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, this is the first step in our, our project. This is the first one, two, and three-year-old blend that we've done. Hopefully, over time, like they get more and more similar to traditional gooses and lambics. And hopefully, Belgians one day will be flattered that we try to you know, imitate their beers and they don't spit it out. I, mean, I, I, I can't <laughs> imagine a Belgian Pe- Peter's brewer. not here anymore. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, I, it's hard to imagine a Belgian brewer not being re- really stoked on this beer, right? Like, not only is it an homage to well, what it's we've not, been doing. I, I have Belgian brewers are a different cut of cloth. Yeah. So this beer is great, in my opinion. But I don't have a hard time imagining oh, really? Belgian brewers being drinking American <laughs> Sour beers, hmm. even ones that are an interpretation of theirs. Not, not, not salty is not the right term. It's just so, somehow they can tell the difference. And I'm not, as I'm not saying it's better or worse, but they can't. They can 
tell the difference. And I really enjoy our versions. So at this point, it's just a matter of opinion. But I think, you know, to your point, Harrison, I think we're getting close <laughs> yeah. to that moment. We're getting close to that moment where it's like, ooh, okay, yeah. which one do I like better? Yeah. And I that's would... a, a kind of slightly an uncomfortable moment for us as American brewers, I think. It's a little scary for us. I mean, we do our best to, like, you know, respect their tradition and make sure we don't ever call our beer, like, goose or lambic. Like, we say goose-inspired, lambic-inspired. We're very clear. We, like... It, we don't like correcting people, but we feel it's necessary. We've definitely hammered oh, it's that like, point. It's like your goose. No. No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. This is goose-inspired. This is definitely, like, American-made. Like, we call it, like, Belgian-style sour ale. We don't want to, you know. It all comes from free respect. I mean, yeah. yeah. It, what what Belgian brewer would just laugh at our American tries at all these? I mean, we're, we're dumping tons of time, money, effort into trying to imitate something they've already done. They've done yeah, for totally. you know, I think hundreds, if not thousands yeah. of years. And, yeah. and so it's silly as it is, here we are doing this and you know, we're, this is our life. Yeah. So yeah. It, at some point I think that wall comes down and a beer like, this is, this is amazing, it goes over there and people enjoy it. But if not, we get it here for, for our palates to enjoy yeah. and know worse to wear. Definitely. I think it's great, yeah. yeah. I think, like, my dream scenario is, like, they get it, and they're curious about it. Uh, you know, they smell it, they taste it, and they're like, okay, it's not fucked up. Great, awesome. And then they take another sip, and they, they actually enjoy it, and they're flattered that we would try to, like, make their beer style. Yeah. That's, that's the best that's the that's best case scenario that's for me. That's the extent like, of the compliment you would get out of the yeah. Belgium This doesn't stink. That's, that's, that's fine with me. <laughs> I feel like that's what the English have been about IPA the whole time, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's ruining our style. All right. How, uh, are we, how are we doing on time, Justin? It's great. For this, we're, do, we're do, coming up to the I end. I think you're doing sure. great on time. Cool. Oh, someone has found the found a microphone. Yeah, found, Whoa, found a voice. You guys can't keep messing with me now. <laughs> Love that voice. I'm here. I'm right I here. I have a voice. Yeah, you're about done. For show break? Yeah, for show show. Okay. Show cool. number one. There you go. All right. Kids well, I think you guys are going to hear these voices again here soon, but we'll take a quick show break. Yeah, Harrison's basically another co-host on the show now. I know. Now. Yeah. Back-to-back shows. <laughs> we have a lot Let's of repeat guests uh, on the show tonight, which we're very thankful for. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Harrison. Thanks for having us. And uh, thanks to James and Peter, who came on the first show. Stay sour. All right. Stop. <laughs>